Okay, uh, what's so good about today, if this is your first time, is uh, you get to uh, be in on the covering of the church that is the ultimate in God's plan. So, uh, uh, as you can tell from the little review, the, uh, the ultimate... The ultimate is what we're talking about today. Philadelphia is the church that will bring the Lord Jesus back to earth the second time. And so Philadelphia being like that, uh, you can see by covering these points on Philadelphia, we can see what is required of God's people to bring the Lord Jesus back the second time, just like Ephesus came out of his first coming Philadelphia induces the Lord to come back for His second coming to bring in the next dispensation or age, which is the age of the kingdom, which is a prelude to the uh, final dispensation of eternity future. Well, uh, today I just hope after uh, all is said and done, you have a good, thorough uh, reaction to everything that is not according to God's heart's desire as revealed and expressed in the Bible and that you see what Philadelphia is. We will go through every word of the epistle written to Philadelphia as revealed in Revelation chapter 3 and we want you to see this. Okay, Philadelphia is the church that the Lord says to, I come quickly. So it is the consummation of His work among His people to bring Him back that is satisfactory to Him, that is sufficient to defeat the enemy, and is sufficient for Him to have the basis to establish His eternal kingdom. So Philadelphia is no small potatoes. Amen. It is gigantic in what God's move on earth among His people uh, is. Okay, It's the church in Philadelphia with tremendous significance, with no negative thing there, with everything being positive, the most positive thing being Him saying, Hold fast, I'm on my way. Amen. Why? Because this church has Amen. fulfilled the Lord's Amen. desire. Amen. Right? Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. We have some really good songs on Philadelphia. Philadelphia, Philadelphia. How the Lord loves you, Philadelphia. It loves the the Lord loves Philadelphia. Okay. I just I just want to give you the impression because whether or not you understand every little point we talk is probably uh, a little too far-fetched to hope for, but as long as you can really be impressed significantly that Philadelphia is something that God has ordained, planned, waited for, has worked out, has even worked out inch at a time throughout 2,000 years of church history to bring us to the moment that we live in in the days uh, just prior to His coming so that He could gain this church that He calls Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. Okay. Oh, I, I love Philadelphia. I'm happy. Amen. I don't even. I'm so happy. I don't. I don't want to ruin it by starting. <laughs> okay. But first of all, let's read the the epistle. 
which is Revelation 3 up at the top, 7 through 13. Okay? All together. And to the messenger of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says the Holy One, the True One, He who has the key of David, He who opens and no one shall shut, and shuts and no one shall open. I know your works. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, those who call themselves Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will cause them to come and worship before your feet, and they shall know that I have loved you, because you have kept the word of my endurance. I also will keep you out of the hour of trial, which is about to come on the whole inhabited earth, to try them who dwell on the earth. I come quickly, hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall by no means go out any more. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which descends out of heaven from my God, and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Good. Amen. Okay, point number one is in the principle of reaction. Philadelphia is the ultimate reaction. Just like uh, Sardis reacted to the uh, situation in Thyatira, Sardis was good. It did come back to the Word of God. But like Neil explained, you could not expect after a thousand years of darkness that they could fully recover all of the truth and the experience of the Word of God. Therefore, they recovered only a fraction of it. Right. This fraction is the Protestant or the protesting ones, which right. we call the Protestant. Uh, this is the Reformation protesting the evils of Thyatira. Right. They came out, late, leading the charge, of course, was uh, the famous Martin Luther. But he had many, many other lesser-known people uh, scattered throughout Europe that were in this line. These were the protesting ones. And they did come out, and they scattered uh, in many ways because of uh, different uh, doctrinal interpretations, etc., that they, that they right. felt were the truth, and so forth. Hence, we went from a universal church uh, that is covering the whole earth which was the Roman Catholic Church headed up by one person uh, to a, pro a protesting group of situation right. where everything became uh, less than that. After the, uh, after the uh, global church, we, you really, the Protestants really established state churches. Right. That's why you have the church in England, the church in Germany, which is the Lutheran church, and uh, the church in England was the church in England there, and when it came to America, it became the Episcopal church, and the Presbyterian church was originally the church of Scotland, and so forth. It just went down to a lower level, you see, more nationalized. Right. Then independent congregations were raised up as uh, reactions to them. You see, church history 
history is just reaction against the last thing right. that took a step for God but did not go uh, to the complete right. completion of whatever that truth happened to be. And so reactions would always occur, right. you see. So church history is just down through the centuries reactions. Right. But with Sardis, uh, after all the dust settled and what was left as we head into the 20th century was basically uh, a return to the Word of God but interpreted in a way that divisions and denominations abounded all across the face of the earth, okay? Therefore, the Lord had to react again to bring in Philadelphia, which was going to recover the church in the way that the Bible reveals it and it was and as the uh, cornerstone of that as the foundation of that it was going to recover the experience of Christ Amen. not as it was revealed in the Protestant Reformation because it was only revealed about 15 percent there right. but in the Philadelphia you have a full recovery of the experience of Christ Amen. so Christ being the content of the recovered church is what Philadelphia Amen. is all about. That is a great reaction, Amen. okay? Yeah. The reaction that will end this age Amen. and bring the Lord back mm. is the reaction that ends up being called by God, Philadelphia. Amen. Okay? Then, <clears throat> number two, Philadelphia is the church in recovery. And, uh, you know, 1 John 3.14 I put here because it shows the point of Philadelphia. Wow. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Amen. Why? Because, because we, we love, love the brothers. brothers. Philadelphia is we love the brothers. Amen. Philadelphia, that's what it means. We love the brothers. Amen. See, that's Philadelphia. And uh, we have to realize that uh, this earth had never seen this kind of entity uh, except maybe a group here or a group there for a very short period of time. This was the first move of God where there was really the love of the brothers and not an organizational machine. This was something quite real, Philadelphia. You see, loving the brothers. You just can't imagine how much work the triune God has to right. go to to get something on this earth I'm, more than a dozen people right. where there really is a prevailing atmosphere of loving the brothers Amen. love among Amen. the brothers Amen. you see this is no small thing this is a testimony of the fruit of the spirit you know the first fruit of the spirit is love yeah. and in second Peter it says you know of all the virtues finally toward the end it ends up with love love the brothers and love period you see so this being the church where uh, you love the brothers is not just well here's a church that specializes in love of the brothers no this is not a matter of being taught to love one another this is a matter of, of possessing the experience of Christ to the extent that the love of the brothers among the, all of the saints is commonplace so normal so real so everywhere you see why because there's a lot of Christ why because there's little of anything else see therefore what's left is the love of the brothers this means you have life this is why it says here you passed out of death into life life 
is the essence of Christ. Life has, must be the essence of the church. So the more life you have, the more comes out the fruit of that life, which is just the fruit of Christ himself living in us, which is we love the brothers. Amen. See, this means we love the church. Amen. Not an organization. No, we don't love an organization. We love the church as what? God's redeemed and called people. Amen. See, that's what we love. We love the brothers. Praise the Lord. I love you, brothers. <laughs> I love you, brothers. That means, that means I'm not in death, you see. I love you, brothers. I love you, sister brothers. I can't say I love you, sisters, because that doesn't sound so good. And my wife's in the other room. But I love the brothers. You're the, in God's eyes, you're all the brothers. You're, you're brother brothers and sister brothers. So, brotherly love. We love. Why? Because we have the life of God. Amen. So, if we have the life of God, we'll get the love. And this love is not, you know, a theory. Right. This love is just not floating around somewhere. This love is real to the extent that it's practical. We love the brothers. That's why in the same book, First John, it says, if you, don't, if you can't love the ones you see, right. how can you say you love right. the one you don't see, which right. is God Himself? So it's so real Amen. and practical. That's the test that it's, that it's, that it's reality Amen. and not theory. Right? So here is reality. Amen. Here is practical substantial reality and Philadelphia Philadelphia loves the brothers. Amen. Why? Because it has the life Amen. of God. Okay? I think you see that. Now, I need to spend a few minutes to give you a little background on Roman numeral 3, three which we'll call the Brethren Movement in history. Uh, the reason we put Brethren here is because uh, in the in, last, in, in the last century, uh, beginning in the 1820s, God did in England and Ireland, uh, beginning there, raise up a movement that is not that well known unless you really are a student of church history. The reason it's not known is because these people called the brethren, quote, they were called that by outsiders, they themselves would not call themselves anything. Later, because their main, most uh, famous congregation was located in Plymouth, England, it was known as the Plymouth Brethren. That was also a tag given them by the outsiders, okay? So these uh, brethren, or sometimes they would be called PBs, or Plymouth Brethren, they were raised up by the Lord in the 1820s, and this was a fulfillment uh, nearly all the uh, real fundamental church scholars uh, would recognize that the brethren, what we, what, that's why I have it in quotes, yeah. what we call the brethren movement yeah. was, the, was Philadelphia appearing on the earth right. for the first time. Right. So I have to give you a little history so that you understand about these people and you understand what happened to these people, and you understand what you do now after, uh, after you've seen the situation. What is your attitude now? Okay. Well, these people were raised up. They were in the state churches. They were basically Protestants or, in, to, in some cases, Catholics. Some of these people... Uh, uh, 
were even uh, clergymen and things like that in the state churches of England. And at a certain time, you know, this in Dublin, Ireland, actually, is where the first meetings began. In, uh, in, in uh, actually, the first meeting was in 1828. I think I put, yeah, on the out. No, I didn't. In 1828, there were four brothers that met. They read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, and said, there's something wrong. There's something, there's something wrong. We're, what we're reading in the Bible does not match what we're practicing. There's something wrong. And they saw very little in 1828. I mean, but they started to get the first rays of light that, they're, that they're, there's something wrong. You see, reaction was starting to set in. Yeah. And so they looked at the situation and said, this is, not, this is not the way God wrote it down. This is not what it says it should be the way the church looks like. And so they began to meet. And the first thing they did is they, is they uh, laid aside one of them, who, who was John Nelson Darby, who was the most famous brethren. He was still wearing his clergy garments, right. That's right. you know, and functioning in the church in England. Right. He took those garments, threw them away, and said, I am no longer a clergyman. I am a what? I am a brother. Amen. I am a brother. That's Amen. all I am is a brother. And these four began to meet, and uh, right away they were joined. They rented uh, some upstairs place where uh, there was a kind of a community hall, and they'd clear it out on Saturday night. And on the Lord's Day, they did nothing. Nobody uh, did anything uh, uh, that was uh, traditional. Nobody did anything. They simply had bread and wine and had the Lord's table and uh, started to enjoy the Lord and threw off all excess baggage and just enjoyed the Lord around His table. And the Lord, the Lord, don't give credit to these men. The Lord Himself right. just honored that. Amen. And no, not only honored it, He authored it. Wow. And, the, and the Spirit just came in and just met these people. And they just began to have a tremendous experience of the living Christ. Amen. And they began to grow week by week by week until the whole place was crowded you see, yeah, with, with, with several hundred people wow, wow. there. And this was the beginning of the Brethren, wow. what's called the Brethren Movement. Mm. From there, from 1828, it spread all across, I mean, rapidly. People were so ready, so prepared, so fed up with and going to the organizational... They reacted, and when this, when they said, "Listen, there are some people meeting in this simple way, having no uh, titles, no official this, no official that, not uh, in any kind of way, except coming back to the Bible and and uh, learning to worship the Lord in spirit," and they people said, "That's what I want," and they just they just started to flock to these, and all over England and Ireland, and and uh, and later it would spread to all, you know, by the in that time. Uh, Great Britain had colonies all over the world. And so uh, the news of this went all over the world just due to God's sovereign arrangement of politics at that time. And the news went everywhere. So eventually there were brethren raised up all over the earth. Amen. The news really spread fast Amen. so that in a, just in a few short years, these people were raised up. 
and God was with them and they had uh, something quite wonderful there. I need to mention a couple of things because this is in 1828 in the years right after that, okay? That's just how real and how much. Number one, I want to emphasize that these people, the way they met mostly, except for the Lord's table meetings, is they got they met in homes for what they called reading meetings. They would meet in homes, get out their Bible, have some prayer, open to the Lord, and start to read. And when, when, when hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these home reading meetings were going on over England at the same time, people started seeing light after light after light after light coming out of the Bible. When these, all of these lights started to come in and be put together, it started to really shape the reality of what came to be Philadelphia. You see, they read the Bible and got light because they were no longer bound by tradition. They came out and the Lord honored that and they were hungry and open and the Lord gave them light and uh, that began the church life that was Philadelphia in 1828 and the subsequent years. Okay? Uh, I would like to mention this thing. Not only was it a return to the Word being read by all the saints receiving light like this? Okay, but also you have to realize that the Brethren movement was a real recovery of the brothers, period. And by that I mean that this was not a move that certain types of people came to. This move captured the hearts of people from all walks of life because they were prepared by the Lord to be open. And, and the Lord honored that from all walks of life. There were politicians in this thing. There were high government officials. There were people from the military. There were clergymen from the state religions. There, was, there were uh, uh, high-class uh, noblemen. You know, England still had the uh, lords and the ladies and, and uh, the sirs and uh, landed people with great estates. They came in. Gardeners came in. Trash uh, collectors came in. Yeah, every a conceivable thing, high and low, everything was leveled and they just all became brothers. They all loved one another. You could be a lord and you could be a cook and you just love one another. That's right. They just forgot it all. They really had for a brief period of time the reality of Philadelphia. Well, not only uh, this was so glorious in God's eyes, but it also caused quite a commotion in uh, that part of the world. And therefore, these people who were fixtures in the established religion at that time, and uh, had some of them had some pretty prevailing repu- reputations, uh, when they came out of all that and testified against it and said, we are for something else, and they would explain what they've seen from the Bible, uh, people didn't like that as they've never liked it in church history when the reaction comes. And so persecution said in all, most all of these people, if they were anybody at all, they got persecuted. If they were nobody, they still got persecuted. (laughs) They all got persecuted. They experienced a lot of condemnation. Uh, A lot of their peers really rebuked them. A lot of them, uh, uh, of course, because it was a land of law, they they couldn't uh, kill them. They couldn't take away. They couldn't steal from them. They couldn't throw them in prison. But 
they were really uh, shunned, ostracized, whatever. And a lot of them paid a price. A lot of them who had high positions and high standings right. were definitely persecuted. Right. And a lot of lies were told about these people. And because they would not, even they couldn't, they would say, well, who are you? And they would say, we're nobody. We're just people who love the Lord. They, even that, they would say, something is mysterious. You're hiding right. something. They, these people were accused of a lot of, of uh, mysterious, being hidden, being not straightforward. Actually, they couldn't answer a lot of questions because if they gave an answer, it would have to be a traditional one or none at all. And so when they would say, well, uh, we're not any of that, we're just this, they would just say, well, uh, then something's wrong with you. And so some of these people, uh, they were definitely, there was definitely persecution here. However, I want to mention that uh, the biggest thing of all that we can say that was the uh, outstanding factor of the brethren raised up in 1828, starting in Dublin and spreading throughout the uh, British Commonwealth, was that they found something that that didn't that had never existed in a in any kind of a large scale way in church history. And that is they discovered how they could live and enjoy not just a personal life with Christ, but a body life with Christ, a corporate life with Christ. They found out how they could do that. They experienced the together life and they experienced the baptism of the Spirit on the body, not just on individuals. And therefore, they love to come together and meet so much and so often because the spirit they realized was in every member, and they and uh, and when all the members came together, the spirit was really prevailing in a special way. They they discovered the corporate spirit poured out on the body, and this became their big thing. This is why they became so strong for oneness. Oneness. We are one. We are one with one another. There is nothing that we should be divided about. They would tell themselves this. They would tell uh, their Christian friends this. They would tell people in the Catholic Church this. They would tell people in state religion this. They would tell anybody this. They'd even tell sinners this and, and help them to get saved. That we should be one in Christ because anything short of that is not Philadelphia. It misses the mark. Uh, this was this was this was the big factor of their having the Lord's blessing. Amen. Well, uh, that was good, and so forth. Uh, as this grew in these early years and went through the 1830s and into the 40s, so much happened during those years uh, that. It's not easy to describe it all. The wonderful church life that they began to have uh, in those days was just so excellent. Okay? Uh, in thinking about it, I would like to mention a few things that I feel that were unique to the brethren at that time, and you might say that they recovered. Okay? Uh, of course, the first thing I've already alluded to, and that is the tremendous amount of new light and truth that came from the Bible. 
The fundamental doctrines at the time they appeared on the scene were only also about 15% formed by the Protestant Reformation. Mostly uh, doctrines surrounding the matter of justification by faith and not by works. That was the main one. Other than that, everything was pretty much a blur. The brethren began to untangle all the doctrinal things and the other, <laughs> nearly 85%, right. not quite, we'll give them, we'll give, them at least, give them at least 75% more, they, they added because they were just crazy to read and study and know the Bible. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, so much light and truth poured out of them and today, uh, those today that, that think they know so much about the fundamental truths of the Bible, a lot of these people don't realize they would not know nearly anything unless it had first been recovered by these people. And some of these people had great intellects that the Lord used that wrote volumes of material that became later the most fundamental doctrines. And these doctrines were taken, even absorbed, by all the, the uh, following fundamental movements that came uh, into existence after that. Okay? okay, number two, they had a tremendous recovery on the line of prophecy. Prophecy, the Old Testament prophecies of Christ and the New Testament prophecies, especially in Revelation, had been, had been uh, neglected, ignored, unable to figure out, too massive to understand why I attempted it. It just cannot be done. They did it. And they uncovered it to a very high level. You see, so that it did not take much to add to it. To, to get the the total picture. They really recovered prophecy. Plus, they took the Old Testament, which had formerly been just a book of history, and to be more or less discarded, when the new, if you uh, believe in the New Testament being written as the beginning of a new dispensation, which fundamentalists believe that way, but they took the Old Testament and showed it's not just a book of history, but it is a book of revelation of types and shadows to show and, and uh, pictorialize the coming Christ. And so they could take any book in the Old Testament and show that it is a picture or a prefigure of Christ and His work among His people to produce His church. They could, they could do that. Great volumes were written. All these great men. I tell you, there's too many to name. Okay. They saw it. They, the typology was so rich there. That's why today, uh, we, we, as we practice the church life, we not only appreciate prophecy, we really are into typology. You know why? Typology is just like, it's just like television versus radio. Radio is good to hear, but you know, the picture, the picture is even better. If you see a picture, sometimes you don't even need words. But, when, but have you ever heard somebody try to describe something on radio? Uh, I remember when, uh, when TV was relatively young, believe it or not, relatively, relatively. 
But you see, before that, as a little kid, I remember growing up and listening to the radio. I'd listen to the announcers describe ball games. Right. They have to describe everything because you couldn't right. see it. Right. You couldn't see it. So, I mean, they were talking, you know, a mile a minute describing everything, you know. I mean, you know, they had to, just, they had to tell you because they were your eyes. That's right. Right. You know, now with TV, they just kind of sit up in the booth and they say, well, here they are, and, and you see the whole thing. They don't even say much. And, uh, and now, you know, they've advanced. They have what they call color analysis. And so some guy takes, like, uh, it's football season now. He takes a football, and he runs through the line, and, you know, makes five yards and so forth. And, the, uh, and everybody in the world that's watching the thing saw just what, exactly what happened. And then, so the color, I mean, he's paid, so he's got to say right. something. So he said, well, that was, that, was a, that was a handoff, and he went through and made five yards. And everybody already knew that, you see. So he's just, you know, you get mad at these guys. Just be quiet. We all saw it. We saw the picture. We saw him hit the ground. He did not fumble. He still has the ball. We saw it, you see. So, so you see, kind of stupid, isn't it? You know why? Because a picture is worth right. a lot. The Old Testament is the picture book Amen. of the New Testament. Amen. And the New Testament is the what? Is the uh, is the factual definition of those pictures. Wow. Right. Okay, another thing they recovered is I would say they recovered the reality of the Lord's table. Which includes a real worship to God in spirit. Amen. Oh, they love the Lord's table. Of all meetings, they love to come and break bread and forget about everything they just learned. I've read some of their messages on the Lord's table, and it says we should not have prayer in the Lord's table. That's too low. They would say we need to, we need to go higher than prayer. We need to have thanksgiving, but that's not as, that's not as high. We need to go even higher and, and sometimes have praise. That's much higher. And it said, but we shouldn't stop at praise. We should go even higher and have something where we just worship the Lord. Not, we, not for anything. We don't praise Him for this or that. We just worship Him because He is who He is. So they went from prayer to uh, thanksgiving to praise to worship. They just realized the Lord's table was a special kind of meeting. You see... And they really got something there. You know what? We inherited the Lord's table from them. That's, right. That's why to us the Lord's table is very important and we do it on the first day of the week, on the day of resurrection, right. on the Lord's day. Why? Just because the brethren went before us right. and we, we, we learned something from them. Amen. That's right. You see. Amen. Well, anyway, this was really a wonderful thing. Then I would say another thing that they recovered was they recovered the priesthood of the believers. Amen. Not in the way the Protestants did it with Martin Luther and company. They recovered the fact that you could get saved without going through a priest. That's what the Protestant Reformation, Sardis, did. But the brethren recovered that the believer could exercise the priesthood in all and every function of a believer. That they needed no one to do anything that they could not do personally themselves. And so they began to have a kind of a life, a kind of a church life, a kind of an experience where all the brothers were responsible for all the things. Amen.
see. This was a glorious thing. And it was glorious from 1828 to 1845. I don't mean the glory totally left at 1845, but the, the first problem, serious problem, came into 18, in 1845, and they had a big major issue that produced a big major split. And uh, two sides were formed. And when you go back and look at that account of history, yeah. which I don't have time to give you all the details, yeah. when you go back and look at that account of history, you realize what an attack of the devil, really? what a shame, what a, what a pity really? that something so wonderful was spoiled to a good degree starting then and it got worse and worse and worse until today the brethren are not just two groups the brethren are untold numbers of groups and at that time the beginning or the the reality of Philadelphia started to fade and the reality of Laodicea which is lukewarmness and pride and arrogance started to come in I'm just saying this in a general way of principle. There were many exceptions in personal ways and even in congregations. But in general, this was the case. That's why that point, the next point is, is the negative disappointment. Because uh, it looked like this was it. But there was an attack. And things did go down the drain in many ways. Now, the brethren would not admit this. Only the outsiders who will objectively look at church history will agree with this, but not, not the others. But this is the case. Sorry to say, this is the case. And I would like to give what I feel are the reasons why they had their split and their subsequent problems. Okay? Number one, they lost their pure focus on Christ. They lost it. I don't mean they threw it away. I just meant it started to fade like a dimmer switch with a light that you use. If you could just do it ever so slightly, almost you would call it imperceptibly, nevertheless you are dimming the focus on Christ. This is what happened. They got to know the Bible so well that with many people who did, not, who did not know their spirit and how to enjoy Christ as their life, they became people very filled with knowledge in the brain, but not that much experience in the life-giving spirit. Therefore, uh, they knew a lot. If you've ever talked to somebody who knows so many Bible, so much Bible, who can throw verses back at you, lickety-split. For whatever you say, they have a counter-say. Right. For whatever point you make, they have a counterpoint. Right. If you say a verse, they have a counter-verse. It's a spirit of contention. I had, a I had an hour conversation with a young man like this not many months ago. Because he met with us some, and he was offended with uh, some of the teaching. And he and and uh, 
uh, he was young. I knew he was young, but he was convinced that he was as knowledgeable in the Bible as anybody. He was convinced of that. And I knew good and well that his knowledge was all up in his brain. He had very little experience. Yeah, that's right. So I knew I wasn't going to win trying to tell him, you don't know very much. So you know what I did? I just agreed with him. I said, okay, let's say you're right. So what? You're right, but so what? You're right, but people are dying. You're right, but the church is not being built. You're right, but the Lord is no nearer coming back. You're right about so many things. You think. Let's say you are. So what? I said, I, I told him this way, boldly, boldly, right, right to his face. I said, do you believe we have the ability, that is the truth, the burden, the desire, and even the practical way to bring a sinner to Christ so that he can become a, a bona fide believer in Jesus Christ and receive him? I said, and I didn't even let him answer. I said, you know we have that ability. I said, think of the Christian groups out there that don't even have that ability, and you don't care anything about attacking them. You only want to attack us. I said, this is not right. Absolutely. And he says, you know what he said to me? He said, said, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, it must be the Bible. I said, you're right. I agree with that. Why should we argue with that? We both agree with that. Well, I, but I said, you know, there's different interpretations in the Bible. You have one and I have another. Can't we just respect one another's interpretation? He's, you know what he told me? He said, I don't have an interpretation. I just have the Bible. At this point, I said, well, no, don't tell me. See, this is, this, is the, this is what? This is the youth speaking. I don't, can you believe someone would say, I don't have an interpretation. I only have the Bible. I said, well, you know, all the, the, when the Lord spoke in all of the Gospels, surely you have to interpret this. Why are there so many volumes and so forth? There are different interpretations. You have to really be on the ball to get the right interpretation. He denied that he had any interpretation. All he had was the truth. So later, he said, then he said, can I ask you some questions? I said, go right ahead. And he said, do you believe what, 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 and what, what, what? I said, well, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm crazy to push something like that, but, but uh, I don't find anything wrong with it. He said, see, see right there, you're the only ones that I have ever heard of in my whole life that, that uh, have something like that. And you know what I said? I said, stop. I said, stop right now. I rebuke you with your own words. You said the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. It doesn't matter whether somebody else anywhere has anything that resembles whatever. It only matters does it match the Bible. You are wrong. I told him that right to his face. I was a little huffy by that time. You know what? The whole day he couldn't shut up his mouth. When I said that, he was totally silenced. You are using a standard that you said is wrong to use. You are judging something against the very standard right. you say is the only standard. That was, that was the end of that. And he says, I, he says, I just, I just want the truth. And, and sometimes, I, he says, I even, I forgot the word he used. It says, I, it's not like I'm obsessed with it. It was a word similar to obsession. He says it. Uh, anyway, it was real powerful where it just, you know, uh, he has a passion for it. He, I said, I said, this, this is the spirit of the Pharisees. 
they had a fanatical passion for what they thought was the truth of God's Word, and they used that fanatical passion to kill Christ and to persecute His believers. You know what this is? This is knowledge in the head without experience in the Spirit. I haven't heard from him yet. I was... I, I, I had... Believe me, I had plenty of reason and grounds to be upset. I had plenty. Okay? I had plenty. I don't do that. That's not my habit. I just... This 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 has been going on a while, so uh, I had to I had to say something. Okay, saints, this was a problem. You see, they, they, the the knowledge came in, and the life they lost the focus. What can I say? They lost the focus. That made things so legal. Instead of it being so enjoyable, so free, so releasing, so full of the Spirit, with such liberality, with such flexibility, things became so... so it, became, it, it did lapse into uh, organization yeah. and legalism. And the oneness was gone. You see, by then the oneness was gone. Whenever you become legal, you, the oneness is gone. Yeah. Don't you know that? I think I think you do. See, we can't be we can't be legal. Okay, if you believe if you believe one way, in Romans 14 it says if you believe uh, to eat vegetables only, that's you. If you believe you can eat meat, that's you. The Bible says, don't make an issue out of it. Okay, it's not worth it. If it were a matter of is Jesus God, then we would we would make an issue. But if it's a matter of what you eat, or what day, if you are if you are a keeper of days, or if you're not a keeper of days, read Romans 14, you'll see all that. Then there's that's there's there's a a difference, but there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. Nobody agrees on every little thing. Nobody, even myself and my wife, don't agree. Okay, we don't agree. And we've gotten married because we were compatible. <laughs> and we don't even agree. We don't agree. Okay? We, don't, we don't agree. But but we do agree that Jesus is God. Amen. We do agree that you know Christ came, lived, died, shed His blood, right. was resurrected, ascended, right. is coming back. Amen. We we we, we believe that. Amen. We can we can pray together Amen. as long as we don't lapse into praying about some little you know nickel dime thing that uh, she might be a little sensitive to, and I might be sensitive some other way. Right. Then we're in trouble. That's right. See, that's what came in. Until all kind of things which they thought were, quote, truth, were really just minor doctrinal knowledge that they should have discarded as not being issues. Keep it. The Bible doesn't say throw it away. It just says keep it to yourself before God. Wow. Okay. So here we have the root of the demise of a glorious thing from 1828 to 1845. And then today, among the brethren, if you meet them, you really feel that you're meeting, uh, in general, you feel like you're meeting the situation described in Laodicea. Okay. C.
The lying continues. Do you understand what that means? That movement failed. But the truth and the lying continues until the Lord's coming back. It's like this here. At a certain time in 1828, Philadelphia started. Here was the reality. But it stopped at a certain point. Not the movement stopped, but the desirability that it matched Christ as his bride to the extent that he could come back. That stopped. But the line of Philadelphia, the reality of it, the truth of it, the experience of it continues. And they were on this line, and it went right through them, but they fell away. Now, who will come and get on this line and bring the Lord back? That becomes the salient question. See, So I just want to ask you and me and all of us together, Will we get on the line? Amen. Will we be on the, the line of Philadelphia Amen. that the Lord can say, I come quickly? Yeah. You see, that's, listen, listen. I, I didn't used to be on that line. Okay? I, didn't, I, I knew where I was, and I didn't used to be on that line. But I, got, I, I made a big change. When I, was, when I was 20 years old, I made a big, big, big change. Okay? And, and, and to tell you from my whole heart, without any reservation, I fully, honestly, and totally believe, regardless of what anybody says, that when I made that change, I jumped on that line. Amen. And I'm enjoying Philadelphia. Amen. I'm enjoying oneness. Amen. The focus on Christ Amen. and the church life. Amen. Loving all the brothers. Amen. And I can also testify, I don't care about all that other right. stuff. Right. I don't care. I have an opinion. Sometimes if I'm really not doing so good, I, my opinion comes out. You know what Laodicea means? Did you read what it means? Opinion. Opinion of the people. Not spirit of, of, of the living Christ, but opinion of the people. That's a fall. Oh, Lord, Philadelphia. Saints, we must be Philadelphia. Come back to Christ. Come back to oneness. Come back to simplicity. Come back to getting away from traditional, organizational, whatever. Get away from it all. Hold fast. And keep your crown. That's God's word to Philadelphia. And, and you know, sadly to say, the brethren, I have to tell you this, but the brethren... When they saw what happened to them, some of them realized it. You know, there was a slogan among them at that time. When they split and they saw the splits occurring and people lining up on sides and more splits occurring, they realized that something seriously happened. And they, if I can remember, they had a little slogan. They called this disappointing, what I, what I say here, the negative disappointment, they called it, if I can recall it, the Lord's, they called it the Lord's Grief the saints sorrow and the devil's glee they had a slogan like that <laughs> that's that's pretty appropriate i think some people who stood back and watched it saw it go and and, and tagged it this way okay now are y'all ready to find out what are the characteristics of Philadelphia? Okay. 
you don't need to worry. We're going to make it. I, I, uh, don't go by how far we've gotten on what page. It doesn't work that way. Okay. You believe me? It, it, we just we'll make it. Okay. There are some times I want things I want to spend more time on, and some things we'll just right. buzz through, right, right. and some things we'll probably omit. Do it doesn't matter. I just I I, I want to go by the spirit. I want to get the main Amen. things out. Uh, Amen. There's num- n- numerous people sitting here that can tell you things that I don't have time to tell you. If you want to say, well, what does this mean? Somebody can tell you. Okay. Ask somebody. Ask you know. Ask somebody that uh, really knows. That that uh, Troy knows it all. <laughs> See? There's Millie Bayes. She can tell you whatever. And Elizabeth. They all know. Vicky's there. And Dan. They all know. Yeah. Nitty, Nitty knows. It's the brothers. It's the brothers. So I'm not talking to a bunch of people. They don't. All of y'all are stupid, ignorant. You don't have a slightest clue as to what the Bible says. I realize that. That it's not. I mean, that it's not like that. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not, I don't have this heavy burden that I've got to educate from, you know, from zero. No, it's not like that. Okay, with that in mind, let's go. The rest of these points are merely quotes out of the, out of the epistle we read. Okay, that's why they're in quotation marks. Number four, and to the messenger of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says the Holy One, the True One. That's Christ. Now, to save time, I would like to put the Holy One and the True One together because they are very, very close in meaning. To be holy and to be true is not far apart. There's a little differentiation. But just for time's sake, we'll basically consider this as one point. The Holy One and the True One. That's Christ. Okay, A says Christ. That's who, that's who this verse talks about is Christ, holy and true. And point B is the believers, holy and true. So I want to show that, that uh, whatever Christ is and how He's revealed in these epistles is so that we can have the experience of that and become like Him. Amen. Okay, that's the point. So A, Christ is holy and true. Uh, let's all read John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. See, Christ always did the things that were pleasing to the Father. I like this verse because it's not a doctrinal verse. It's a simple statement of his true factual history. He just did the pleasing things according to His Father. Now, isn't that simple? That made Him holy and true. See, you don't have to be too intelligent. You don't have to be too old to figure out that for one person to please another person makes that a person holy and true to that person. That holy means separate. He's separated to that person. And true means he's absolute or faithful to that person. Okay. Really, real simple. Christ was that way with the Father. You see, we could say this way. Holy and true 
when Christ was the Holy and True One, this meant that He was 100% absolute for God and God's interests. 100%. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't say I do some of the time. You know, if we, it, we can't say this. Can, can you say I always do the things? No. You can't say that, can you? No. But he could say it. I always. You know, if he couldn't say that, he might have died, but his blood couldn't have redeemed us because it wouldn't have been perfect blood. No. He was holy and true. And I would say this also means that he was faithful. Think of it. What does it mean to be faithful? Basically, I would say this. He was faithful in every circumstance that he ever was in for 33 and a half years. He was faithful to always, every time, totally, under any situation and in every situation, big and small, he was faithful to express the Father and to represent the Father. Amen. He, was the, he was what Revelation calls the faithful witness. He always expressed God. I think that's... I think this is, this, is, this is our Christ, the holy and true Christ. And saints, listen, since the day we opened our being and let this Jesus Christ come into us, we can also say the holy and true one is now in us and he is working in us and he's operating in us to make us, the believers, also holy and true. Not 100% at birth like he was when he was incarnated you see, to be a man. But He's making us holy and true step by step, degree by degree, by putting Himself into all the parts of our being through His indwelling life. Okay? <clears throat> Let's read this verse here under believers. Uh, Ephesians 2.2 2 says, "...in which you once walked according to the age of this world, according to the ruler of the authority of the air." Then Galatians 1.4 says, "...who gave Himself for our sins, that He might rescue us out of the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father." Amen. You see, right here, you see that there's this thing called the world. Ephesians, it says the age of this world. It says the present evil age in Galatians. There's a world, there's an age, and to be holy, you have to be separated from the age of this world. The world is a satanic system arranged by Satan to be something that would capture man's being, faculties, time, attention, every part of him. It is to replace God in man's life. It is to usurp the right role and, and position and uh, uh, totality of God by giving it a substitute. That's Satan's system. That is called the world. It is full of every conceivable thing that can occupy man and replace God. It is both evil and good, but it is still the world. Okay? So there's the good world. There's the culture world. There's the refined world. There is the uh, humanitarian world. There is the uh, world that uh, stresses being... Uh, 
there's the environmental world to save the planet. There's a humanitarian aid world to save mankind. It's not going to work. You're not going to save the planet. You're not going to save the man. There's no, that's, if you could do that, why do you need a savior? God can do that. He's going to do it. He's going to change the planet overnight, and he's going to he's going to and he's going to save man not through not through some little dinky effort, but by his by by the spirit that he poured out upon all flesh. He will save man. You see, don't worry about it. Okay, don't worry about it. I hope I'm not stepping on any toes. Listen, don't get into causes. You're wasting your time. Time is short. The whole thing. The earth, the plant, the whole old creation, including unregenerated man, it's all going down the drain. Right. Don't try to fix it. You are using bubble gum trying to, trying to fix uh, you know, an, uh, an Abrams tank. It doesn't hold. Right. Okay. You might as you might as well you might as well put Elmer's glue on the on the space shuttle and say you know I hope it sticks together and re, and reentry. Right. <laughs> no, no, we're come out of that. Come out of that realm. We don't. We have to be separated from the world. Amen. The good part, the bad part, even the religious part. Did you know there's a religious world? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think Constantine the Great wasn't a worldly person? <laughs> but he was the head of the church, <laughs> or so he thought. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, here we are today, out here at Lockhart Park on Saturday in the fall, and you're college students. Best time of your life. You're all, y'all are out here in this place. Obviously, we don't have enough air conditioning. <laughs> Carrie, you sure it's not something wrong with that thing? <laughs> you know what? No, nobody's comfortable. I'm not. I'm working harder than you. I'm not comfortable at all. I'm even up higher. It's hot. It's hot. Hotter up here. But listen, 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 listen. Look where we are today. We're not in the world. We're not in it. I know we have to live in it, but but you know we don't have to drink of it. We're not in it. We bailed out. Jump ship. The ship's going down. Why be on a, the ship if it's going to sink? That's right. Bail out. Amen. It's sinking. Believe Amen. You'll see. It's 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 going down. It's just the last part. You know, a ship goes down vertically. The last part just hadn't gone underwater. That's right. So if you're on the ship, you're on that last tip. You, you just hadn't seen that most of the ship is gone. And finally, it's just going to go zip. And you know, an implosion of water, and that's it. You've had it. No one can escape. That's the the undertow is too strong. Once the ship goes down, you've had it. Jump out of what the world, then you'll be holy and true. Well, I would say basically, 
to be to be separated from is one aspect, but the but the big aspect is get rid of the excess baggage, so that you have a capacity, a capability, to be to be holy or separated to something, not just from something, but to something. That what should we be separated unto? We should be separated unto God and His eternal purpose. That's what our human life is for. For God and for His eternal purpose. See? You just do this. You just bail out of your former manner of life which centered around whatever aspect of the world that had uh, caught your fancy. Okay? Maybe it was, uh, who knows? Today, who knows? They have said that a human being, a young person living in today's modern society, has more, uh, has more uh, opportunities, more exposure of things to do than their grandparents had. The young person has more in one day than their grandparents had in one lifetime. That's the choices that are available today. Things have changed. There's a part that is a fancy to you. You know, I bumped into all parts of the world. It's funny, but every time you bump into a little compartment of the world, the people who live and have given their heart, their hearts have been soaked in that part of the world. They think, they think that's it. Right, right. They really think everybody else is kind of crazy. You see? If you're a golfer, they think golf is the ultimate. But for somebody who reads and I would never lower myself to be uh, bestial and go do something that makes me use my physical body. Man is an intellect. So what? When the ship sinks, the cabin with the intellectual side, the cabin where the, the beasts were, the cabin where all the fine things were, the cabin that held all of the uh, evil things, the ones who were criminals, the ones who were clergy, the ones who... That's going to be, you know, who's who in hell is going to be a big book. It's going to have a lot of categories to it. That's right. And here is the here's the president of what what nation, and here's the president of the United States. And everybody will remember he was a he was a, he was a household word. But just one thing, he was still on the ship. That's right. That's right. I'm not suggesting anything. Some I, there there have been I, I know you know a sprinkling of presidents who confess openly their belief in Christ. But anyway, it's hard to be a politician and be a Christian. Very difficult. <laughs> okay, y'all, y'all get it. Yep. Jump ship. He's separated. Jump the ship. <laughs> Jump ship. Bail out. Okay. Uh, there's another point here that's really good, but for time's sake, I'll skip that. And we'll just cruise right along. Okay. He who has the key of David. Uh, I got to do a little job on David here, and so this will. Uh, You'll get it. Okay. 
Listen to this. Let's see what verses. Okay, A is, I want, to, I want you to see the key of David. Look this way. I want you to see it in its significance because the Bible traces things from the beginning. Okay, number one, Genesis gives us the beginning of the key of David. Okay, two, the Old Testament gives us the picture. Okay, this is the beginning. This is the picture. And then the New Testament gives us the reality. Okay? So, to understand the key of David, it's just not a little phrase. Right. If you don't know the Bible, if I say, can you tell me what is the key of David, you couldn't do that, right? So, you you got to know the whole thing, okay? Because the Bible draws from the other books that went ahead of it. That's the way the Bible's written. That's why we know it's inspired. Okay? First of all, in Genesis 1.26, which is a verse here that I wrote down, you see under A, where it says image and dominion. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over all the things that follow there. See, image and dominion were, is, was, and is God's original intention. That man would have his image and represent him in his dominion, his kingdom. Okay, And so man was created this way and put in front of the tree of life to receive the triune God so that he could have his image, his likeness, and uh, uh, exercise dominion, his authority. But Adam and Eve, we know the story. Adam was there. He was there. There, there was a fall. Man did not fulfill image and dominion. And there was a fall. And God had to come in and do a recovery work right. after that fall. So in the Old Testament, we see all the people, all the great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joshua, Noah, uh, Enoch, Enosh, all these people you see were there. And these were the great people. In them, you could see a trace of the image and a trace of the dominion, but you could not see that much. Okay? You couldn't see that much. Until you get to the fact that through Joshua's line, you see, you had a people raised up. And these people that were raised up was the nation of Israel. And when God got not just a few patriarchs, but when He got the nation of Israel, at that point, He got a people and He began to slowly but surely recover his image and dominion through his people. How? Well, Israel was a, Israel was a nation, you see. And uh, I'm sure y'all probably know a little. Okay, say this is the, say this is a Mediterranean. And uh, here's Israel. Here's, uh, here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's the Jordan River. And here's the Dead Sea. And uh, over here is Egypt. And here's uh, the wilderness. Uh, down this way is the wilderness. And so forth where they wandered for 40 years. And then they came up after 40 years. And there were 2 million, there were two million of these people. And they 
while they were in the wilderness had many, many, many failures. So the image was mostly lacking. But they did while they were there. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, he got the uh, he got the blueprint of God's image and dominion. Not, not only the, the Ten Commandments, but he also got the blueprint. He got the uh, uh, he got the uh, all the details concerning the building of the tabernacle. You see, and so the tabernacle, which was the mobile dwelling place of God, because it moved with the people wherever they went while they were in the wilderness, they took the temple of God. God dwelled inside the temple, or not the temple, the tabernacle, and that was his dwelling place. Therefore, that was his expression through his people in in pictorial form. Okay? And that was his expression in the Old Testament. But they, they had to go up this way, and they had to fight some battles in this area with the Moabites and the Edomites, to get through here and they finally came up and they got the revelation that this area here uh, somewhere down like this was going to be the good land for them and they had to go across the Jordan River and the 12 tribes would divide up uh, this area here in, into the, uh, the good land and so forth from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south and they went in Moses died <clears throat> Joshua took his place They went in. Two and a half tribes stayed over on this side of the river and the rest of them went in. And this land, the thing about the good land that God promised them was that it was already occupied. Just like a human being is already occupied when the life of God comes into his being. Here is Joshua coming into the good land and here is Christ coming into a person's heart. There were 31 strongholds, 31 kings with their followers. They lived in walled cities. And God commanded them to fight the battle, recover the land, chase the enemies out, and occupy all of Israel and divide it among the tribes for their inheritance. Then, at the place that he would choose, which would be about right here, at a place called Jebus, which later was conquered by David and became, would change from Jebus to Jerusalem. Amen. That became the place where the temple was built. Amen. Do you all follow me? Yep. Okay. So you see A is image and dominion. B is the Old Testament type. Okay. And then uh, C is just where we are on the next page. We've come up to this point. But right here, I need to show you this. Right here, when you go in and they start to fight the battle, they start to rout these kings one by one by one by one. And they drove them out. They drove them out. Killed them, slaughtered them, drove them out, whatever. No mercy because these were the enemies of God. And Joshua was quite a good commander. You see. When he did that, and finally, the last place that David took, David was the successor. The last place that was taken was this city that became Jerusalem. Where on, the, on, the, on Mount Zion, or Mount Moriah, uh, was where it was located. And this city was taken. And the temple 
which was the permanent dwelling place of God versus the tabernacle. The tabernacle changed into the temple to a certain site that temple was located and that was God's expression. Because there was the ruling of God's people to defeat the enemies, that was His dominion. So His image and His dominion in typology was expressed through Israel. You follow me? That's the Old Testament. Then in C, you come to the New Testament. Okay, uh, Matthew 12, uh, that's just there to show you the change of dispensation. I won't take time for that verse. But look at 1 Timothy 3.15. Yeah. Paul says, But if I delay, that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God. The house, that's the temple, that's the tabernacle. But look, it says, which is the church of the living God. This is the New Testament reality, the pillar and base of the truth. So you see, you have the church. You can put it this way, okay? Uh, there, was, uh, there originally was man in the Garden of Eden. That brought in the fall. No image and dominion, okay? That brought in eventually Israel to bring in the typology of image and dominion in the physical sense right. as a picture of right. the coming spiritual sense. Right. Do you all follow me? Okay, so Israel was brought in, but the age changed to the age of reality, not typology, and the church came into being, and this church would, would have two main items. One, it would have expression. It would be the house, the dwelling place of the living God. And it would have two, representation, or a dominion. I'll just put dominion. It would, it would express God's authority. Okay, it would express God's authority. Uh, that's why if you read Matthew 16, 18, and 19, the next verses, it says, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Amen. Now, you don't come into expression here. The next part of this verse talks about taking dominion and having authority over any and every negative thing. Okay? The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. And whatever you bind on the earth shall be what has been bound in the heavens, and whatever you loose on the earth shall be what has been loosed in the heavens. You see? Don't you realize this is a war? There's a fighting going on here. The gates of Hades versus the kingdom of the heavens. Then you bind and you loose, not physically, but spiritually. You see? Amen. The church was to express all of the being, attributes, and virtues of God and man, which is Jesus Christ. He is the blend of God and man. And the church was to be the expression of that God-man. And it was to be the dominion, the authority, to deal with the gates of Hades, which which is all of Satan's system that is against God and His purpose. That's to take dominion. Now, today, in the church, in the church age, we're to express Christ and to represent Him, to shine out His virtue and to deal with His enemy. That is the high calling of the church. That's Philadelphia. 
Yeah, uh, I can't remember what it is. My calling of God is to express Christ. Yeah, to express Christ. It's to express Christ in all that He is, in His virtues, all that He is. And it's also to represent God's authority to defeat His enemy. Okay? Then, when that's done, which this is Philadelphia right here. This is Philadelphia, saints. The expression and representation of God to the uttermost. That is Philadelphia. That's why in this scripture it says that to Philadelphia the key of David is given. To express and represent the triune God. And that key will be used to unlock this expression and, and, represent, and representation, but it, mo mostly the key is the key to unlock the door that leads into the next age because that is the age of the kingdom where the expression and representation will be automatic. Amen. The key of David is the key of the kingdom. When he drove out all of the uh, enemies out of Israel, for the first time Israel was no longer a wandering people, but they were a kingdom of people. Amen. And the key of David is given to Philadelphia to bring in the next age, which is the kingdom age Amen. of Christ and His people. Amen. That's what the key of David means means. Eventually the key will, will usher in the new Jerusalem with the new heaven and the new earth to bring in the ultimate kingdom for the whole universe Amen. with a new everything. Don't you think expression and dominion will be there? They will be there with a total abstinence of everything that has even, the, even a trace of Satan's person or his doings for all this time. This is Philadelphia. Aren't you glad? Amen. <laughs> Saints, your being is worth Philadelphia. It's worth it. Don't sell out right. for anything. Forgive yourself to Philadelphia. Okay? It's, Philadelphia is what the Lord's coming back for. He's not coming back for some goofy thing. Not something playing around. Not something compromising. Not something less than absolute. Not a mixture. Amen. He's not coming back for that. He's coming back to a people, to the church, that will express and represent Him Amen. according to His Word. Amen. Okay, I think you got the key of David. Amen. I like it. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I, I left a lot unsaid because that's a big subject. Really? From I mean, from Gen it's from Genesis to Revelation. Right. It's a big subject. Well, this little phrase, the key of David, is is a, a theme throughout the whole Bible. Amen. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> he who opens and shuts. No, I'm sorry. Next one says, "He who opens and no one shall shut." Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Amen. You see, uh, when I mentioned earlier today that this was the hard part, I'm serious. You see, after we finish this session, it's so easy. We just eat, enjoy, sleep, walk, talk, enjoy. Later we'll come back. Right. The meeting will be short. Right. Supper will be great. When we meet tonight, he'll even be cool. <laughs> 
You can't see it because his shirt is uh, colored and checkered, but uh, it's ringing wet. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I thought it would be. I brought two shirts. I'm hotter than you are. <laughs> Believe me. Okay. Uh, we're, 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 we'll have this uh, temperature thing figured out by next year this time because the, the other outings don't come at this time of year. It's okay, but we'll have it figured out. Won't we, Tim? We will. Okay. Hang in. Listen, I, I, don't, don't fade out. Hang in. Just make it. If you'll make it, the rest of it will be gravy. Okay, just hang in. Okay, now. He who opens and no one shall shut and shuts and no one shall open. I know your works. Before, behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Where do you think that open door is to? Think about it. God promised Philadelphia an open door and nobody can shut it. Oh, dude, this is really, I mean, this is, this is scintillating. It's delicious. Philadelphia gets a door that nobody, regardless of the strength of their effort, can budge. They can fool with it, but it won't it, How frustrating it must be for the enemy not to be able to do anything with his open door. Not only that, some doors he shuts. What do you think he's shutting out? And nobody, is, as much as they'd like to open that thing, can budget. He's closing the door to one age and he's opening the door to another. He's closing the door to Satan and he's shutting him in the bottomless pit, the abyss, for a thousand years Amen. and he's opening the door to his eternal kingdom. Amen. And nobody can do anything about it. Amen. And for Philadelphia, because he will get Philadelphia. You know, remember the chart? Philadelphia came. Philadelphia came to here and uh, uh, stopped in experience, but the line continues. And this is the Lord's coming back right here. And so who will be on this line? There has to be the church life. There has to be the reality of Philadelphia on this line. Amen. Must be here. So the door is not only open right here for the next age of the kingdom during this period of time, but the door is also open to Philadelphia to express and represent God. The door is open. And no one can shut this door. And, bec and because all I have to say is the door is open to the kingdom, that takes care of that. But let me tell you right now, even in this age, we have the foretaste of that. And that is Philadelphia is, has an open door right now. Right now, if you are one with Philadelphia, your door is open. Amen. You are, I should say, the door is open and you participate in that open door. Okay, you say, well, what's it open to? Let me tell you now just a little bit of what it's open to. Okay, yeah, thank you. Oh, I feel really bad doing this in front of you. <laughs> My voice is getting weak. Okay. It's great. Thank you. Okay, now, <laughs> that was almost a sin, wasn't it? <laughs> okay. Okay, if, the, if you are one with Philadelphia, here's what you get. 
I'm going to give you a few items of what you get. Right. They're, not all, they're not all of them, but they, you will get these items, okay? Number one, you will get an undeserved blessing. You will participate, participate in God's blessing on His move to produce Philadelphia. Don't ask. I know this. I know. I've seen it. I, I've witnessed it for 25 years now. It's just there. It's just there. It's a real blessing. It's it's a blessing that you can't say you put in a nickel's worth of you know a nickel's worth of uh, work or labor and you get a nickel's worth of blessing. No, you put in a penny and you get. Uh, you know, it's it's you get this flood coming towards you. Why? Because it's not God loves you, which He does, but it's not that. It's that He loves Philadelphia, and you're one with Philadelphia. So you, you, I mean, somebody dragged you under the waterfall, and you just you're just wet everywhere. You see? That's right. Why? Not because the waterfall was created for you. You just got in the right place and you got wet. Amen. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. Listen, oh, I, I have stories. I have so many stories. No sea stories. Well, maybe one or two. <laughs> corporately, corporately, I would put it this way. This door is opened by God. Phil the door of Philadelphia is opened by God, just like He opened it in 1828. But there was some things remaining that had to be recovered. And so that was not the completion of Philadelphia. God is wise and sovereign. So he, And thankfully, uh, we get to get in on it, on that line. Otherwise, we might not be here. So that's a mercy to us. But corporately, nobody can close this door. You, you even think you shut it. It's only, it's only in your thought. It really just opens up even wider. You think you close it, and it's a small door. Uh, in reality, it just enlarges the size of the door. You can't close it. You cannot close what God is doing on the earth today. Right. You know, listen. When I came in, when I came into what we call the recovery, which we could, you know, our Philadelphia is a synonym. When I came into that and got on that line. I, I, you know what I couldn't figure? As good, as rich as this was, I couldn't figure out how in the world it was going to, it was going to uh, spread and go to the inhabited earth. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. I, was, I grew up, I was raised, born and raised in Texas, grew up here. I couldn't even figure out how we were going to... Uh, the most I could figure was a few uh, living rooms with a few saints huddled in them and that would be the extent of it. I just couldn't see how. And in those days, between the East Coast and the West Coast, there was only about 25 or 30 people that saw that in, in the early time. I just didn't see how we were going to take over the place. <laughs> I didn't know the door. I didn't know, I didn't know the... I, I just didn't know this. That, that God opens a door and you, that's it. From, that, from those little, you know, Bethlehem-type beginnings, manger beginnings, 
uh, the door has just been opening, opening, opening. Till now, it's hard to go on the planet Earth and not find a church life that is Philadelphia. All, all, all over the place. You know, I remember one time we were burdened for the country of Brazil. There were no churches there. But a few saints had migrated there from the uh, mainland of China uh, after the uh, communists took over and had lived there a while. And so we knew some of these saints knew the truth through uh, Brother Watchman's ministry. So we prayed a lot. Finally, two brothers migrated there from the church in Los Angeles. We were all hoping something would happen. Nothing happened. I said, I guess it won't happen. That's, I didn't say it, but that was I thought it. Yeah. Then, those same two brothers moved back, and they just said, well, we just couldn't do a thing. I said, it's the way it goes, I guess. I don't <laughs> anyway, if there's only 25 of us in Texas, and that's as big as we get, that's where I'm, I'm going to drive my stake right there. That was, that was the only attitude to have back then. Yeah. You know what? Uh, several years later, we heard the Lord is really raising up seeking saints who are responding to our message in the country of Brazil. And we heard reports, and these and more and more and more. And pretty soon, some of these people began to travel to the United States and visit. And once I saw them, heard them testify and share, these are mostly young people, I was shocked. I was truly shocked. Now, see, this is all the time. I'm not talking about 50 years ago. I'm talking about 12 years ago. Troy, you know how many churches there are in Brazil right now? From 12 years ago when we were saying, I wonder if the Lord will do something there. There's over 300 local churches in one country and growing rapidly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It wasn't until last year this happened, but thank the Lord, right now there's a church in Moscow, Russia. Hallelujah. Isn't this the Lord? Who could do this? That's right. Only the Lord. He opens the door. Nobody can shut it. Do you believe the, Ru- the Russian Empire would be on its knees? Nobody can fool with it. Nobody can change it. It's just unbelievable. But when God does something, he just, it's just there. And nobody can do it. I don't care who you are. It's out of control. Out of your control. Okay. Amen. Well, a lot of things. The door is open, the door is shut. Uh, you get up the blessing. If you're in Philadelphia, another thing you get is revelation and light. Boy, you will never know the Bible was so full of light and, and revelation. You'll see light about everything you imaginable. You'll get... Three, you'll get the riches of the divine life. Life will be everywhere. You'll be, you'll be floating in the sea of life. Philadelphia is where you can have life and have it abundantly. Four, it's where the gospel will be preached by all the saints. 
not by an evangelist or a revivalist, but everybody will know how to preach the gospel. Amen. Number four, or whatever, five, it will be the place where the seeking ones, the ones who've been stirred up by the Lord to seek Him, will gravitate to. The seeking ones will be attracted. That's a sign of Philadelphia. And then, uh, finally, what I mentioned, mentioned to you earlier, it will be characterized not by stagnation, but by spreading. It will spread and spread and spread. You say, how will it spread? Let's figure it out. You don't need to, you don't need to figure things out. You just need to walk in lockstep with the Lord, and you will see the spreading occurs. Things just happen. Calls come. We've found the, some literature. We've read it. We're stirred up. Send somebody to tell us more about Philadelphia. That has happened time after time after time after time. That's God's doing. No one is saying this about the Presbyterian Church. Okay, it's not happening that way. They go and struggle and labor and strive, and if they can just get a little convert in some country, then they bring them into an American-style church that they built on foreign soil and make them do it the way, the traditional way. They, they convert people into an American-style Christianity that's an organization. No, the seeking ones don't gravitate to that, do they? No. They would say, that's America. I'm not America. I'm staying away from that. But listen, if it's really Philadelphia, wherever on earth you are at that moment, if you get in the midst of it, you feel like I am exactly where I belong. I'm home. In Philadelphia, you're home wherever, wherever you are on earth. You can't say that. Don't tell me you can say that about other places. I don't believe it. <laughs> Okay. When I came to Philadelphia, I was so I was reeking, soaked. You know, I mean, I, I, I exuded the flavor of the system, religious system I'd come out of. And I walked into Philadelphia, and it's, it was in a li Philadelphia in that locality was meeting in a living room. I walked in there and looked at these people. Didn't know them from Adam, <laughs> and uh, looked around and said, "This is strange." After about 10 minutes, it's not so strange. After 30 minutes, it's not bad. After an hour, I'm home! I'm home! I walked out of that first meeting and I, I said, this is what I've been looking for! Okay, anyway. The door was open, the door is open. Okay. All right, quickly. Next one. You have a little power. Oh, everybody likes this. You know why? Because it's just so sweet and precious. Philadelphia, a characteristic of Philadelphia is a little power. Hallelujah. A, it's member power. Amen. Do you have Christ? Tell me. Or do you have Christ? Amen. Yes. Then you are, guess what? Guess what you are? A member. Of a member of the uh, uh, Eastern Orthodox Church. No. Uh, you know, 
I uh, want to. Uh, I have this little book. This is called Handbook of Denominations in the United States. Uh, I, I don't know. I picked this up in a bookstore one time. Just uh, people that are a little off do things like that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're a member of what? What? Uh, Okay, okay. Now I'm 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 not laughing, but I, since I was this, I have the ground to say it. I, I was raised in the Baptist church. Okay. Neil, would you give me some help? <clears throat> Which one of these do you want to be a member of? I'm a member. Uh, when you got regenerated, you became a member of. Da What? You see? Uh, oh, okay. This is B here. Yeah. Okay, we have American Baptist Convention, Southern oh, Baptist. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, America, say it again. American Baptist Convention. Is that what you became a member of when you got Christ? No. Okay, what else? Southern Baptist Convention. No. Go ahead. Negro Baptist. No. American Baptist Association. No. no. Baptist General Conference of America. No. Bethel Baptist Assembly. No. Christian Unity Baptist Association. No. Conservative Baptist Association of America. No. All you liberals, watch out. <laughs> this is conservative. Duck See? River and Kindred Association. Duck of River. Baptist. Duck River. And <laughs> Kindred. Were you born into the Duck River Association? No. Go ahead. Free Will Baptist. Free Are you will. Free Will? It means if you believe in if you believe in uh, in uh, predestination, you're out of that. You're out. You were not born into that because you you can't be one with the predestinationalists. General Baptist. No. The General Association of Regular Baptists. <laughs> no. Listen. When I got saved, I was in this, and I thought it was the best on earth. I did with all my heart. I felt that way. I did. What else? General Conference of the Evangelical Baptist Church, Inc. <laughs> Go ahead. General Six Principal Baptist. <laughs> Independent Baptist Church of America. Land, Landmark Baptist. <laughs> National Baptist Evangelical Life and Soul Saving Assembly of the <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Okay. My my point is not to make you laugh. I'm just show I'm just showing you. You see, when you got you became a member of what? What did you become a member of? This is just this is just the B. This is just B. One one topic under one letter, B. Look, here's the church of God. It's not so it's not so long. Were you born as a member of the parentheses original Church of God Inc.? Were you uh, the Church of God, parentheses, Anderson, Indiana? The Church of God, parentheses, Seventh Day, Denver, Colorado? Church of God and Saints of Christ? And the Church of God in Christ. That's all under one. You see, they, the Church of God here has five splits. Here's the Church of Illumination. <laughs> Oh, 
Were you, were you, as a member of the Church of Christ, were you born into the, here's the Eastern Church, are you born into the Albanian Orthodox Diocese in America? Think of this, Albanian Diocese in America. Albania is only 21 and a half thousand miles away, but there's a diocese in America. Is it, is a, were you born, I mean, God gave you his life to be in the Albanian diocese in America? How about to be in the American Carpatho-Russian Orthodox Greek Catholic Church? When you said Lord Jesus, you got into something you couldn't even pronounce, right? It's too much. It's too much. Listen, listen. So, some of it. So, actually, I've read this sometimes, just chuckling to myself, because some of it. Uh, oh my goodness! My goodness. Okay. Now, let's don't laugh. Let's don't laugh at at, at that situation anymore. Let's let's have pity. Brothers and sisters, it's pitiful. Today, God desires for us to have the life to be a member of the body of Christ. Plus nothing. Period. End of sentence. End of page. End of chapter. And end of book. It's all over. That's all. You were born to be a member. You got the life of God in you to be just a brother in uh, the body of Christ. Amen. Nothing more or less. Wow, right. Okay? And for that, you don't need gigantic power, you need member power. Amen. The Protestant Reformation was characterized by giants, men who were so mighty in what they were and could accomplish, and that spontaneously produced congregations because the the man was mighty but the congre- it, it overwhelmed people till it became it became a high and a low situation with the congregations being passive, stagnant and letting and letting the giants do the things. You see, no. God raised up Philadelphia so the members, Amen. the member, I'm this member of the body of Christ. You're a little finger, you're an ear, you're a nose, you're an eyelash, you're one hair. Whatever you are, you are a member of the body of Christ. Amen. So wonderful. Can you believe it? It's the mystical body in the sense that we can't see it, but it is, it is more real than our physical body. Uh, that's why it says now you are the body of Christ and members in particular I like Ephesians this next uh, verses in 4 and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some shepherds and teachers for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of ministry unto the building up of the body of Christ do you realize that what used to be regarded as giants which are, which are uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists. These giants, we've now found out what they're really for. They're not to produce clergy and laity. They are to produce and to perfect the saints so that the saints, the members, do the work of ministry. If you're going to ever be useful, if you were an apostle, 
if you could not train the saints to do the work and it depended on you coming around on your circuit to accomplish something, you have failed. Okay. I speak a quick word to anybody that is, was, or aspires to be a full-timer. Yeah. If your work depends on you right. and you alone, right. you are a failure. If you are able to bring others into a function as a member of the body of Christ so that when you walk away, the functions continue, right. then you are a success. Amen. One way you have built up a kind of a group, but the other way you've built up the body. Amen. One may be a group, but it's weak and functionless. The other is the body. It's strong and it's full of the function. Amen. If nobody can, if, if, if you have to have an evangelist come and preach the gospel for you because you're inadequate and everybody feels the same way, then you can, you can know for sure you are out of Philadelphia. That's right. But if virtually anybody that you go to has the ability to bring you to the Lord in a very clear-cut way, then you're in the midst of Philadelphia. That's one of its characteristics. Yes, Ed. <laughs> Yeah. Um, in the beginning, when Paul speaks to the Thessalonians, he says, From you, the word. And uh, because they were genuine apostles, they raised up the members of the body of Christ. Saints, that's critical. Philadelphia is the members doing everything, doing everything. Okay, <laughs> I think you get it. Anyway, you see the purpose of gifts? Sure, some people have a special God-given gift that are listed here. That is true. And there are other places, some other types of gifts are mentioned. That is true. But it all, instead of, instead of uh, the gifted people going out on their own and, in, in a sense, causing things to diverge, from oneness, the gifts should all point this way. Right. For the church, for oneness, for the church to build up itself in love, according to Ephesians 4.16. Okay? Members, that's why all the members must be perfected in life and in truth so that they can function according to... Only God can do this. Okay? Man can hold a revival. Man can preach the gospel and sinners can get saved. That's not too tough. Okay? But for the members, oh, that's something special. That's right. That's right. Uh, then I would want to say one thing when it says a little power, what does this really mean? Because it, it seemed like it would be enough to say you have power. But you have to remember that as a member, anytime we say I'm a member of the body of Christ, that implies that we're just little, doesn't it? I'm a little member. So you need a little power to match what you are. In other words, it's fullness for you. But since you're only one key in the whole machine, 
Though you're full, still, compared to the whole picture, it's just a little power. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yep. In other words, God is looking at the corporate whole and not just at you, Jose, mm -hmm. and saying, oh, Jose, you're so full of the Spirit. That, that is the way it should be. But when you get back and you look at the whole body of Christ, you just say, I have given my power to the body of Christ. And you have a little, you have a little, you That's have right, a little. Amen. Put it all together and you have the total Amen. power Amen. of God. Amen. See? Now, Jose, now that you are a member of the body of Christ, you are, right? Yes. Have you received Christ? Amen. Is He your life? Amen. Does He live in you? Amen. Is He transforming you? Yes. Is He gaining your mind? Yes. Thought life? Yes. Is He gaining your feelings? Yes. What you love? Yes. What you hate? Amen. What you... Uh, so He's working in you. Yes. He's working in your will. Amen. To choose Him? Mm -hmm. To yes. reject the devil? Yes. He is, isn't He? Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> it is good. I, I like no hesitation. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Amen. Good. Good. You, you know, you must be a member. You must be a member. But as much as, as, much as the Lord is operating in this brother, you're still just a member. That's right. And you see this next verse here? Jose, look at that verse. You see what it is? Yeah. Read that right there. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and severally members one of another. Amen. Do you realize you're not only a member of Christ, but according to 12.5 in Romans, you're a member of Neil and Steve Amen. and the saints. Wherever you are at any given time, on the whole, you're, you're a member of all the saints. Amen. Do you realize you are also a member of them? Really, Amen. the Christ in you is a member of the Christ in them. Amen. That part of you which has been transformed into the image of Christ is one with that part of them which has been transformed into the image of Christ. That's really the one that we're, we're talking about. Isn't that right? Wow. You know, a little power, you have a little power, right? Have you ever had an experience where you tried to exceed the the power that you have? Yeah. Okay, let's say let's say you're the uh, thumb. See thumb? That's Jose. But have you ever tried to do something for the Lord that required your whole hand? And you you you, yeah. you gave your whole hand to work it out? Mm -hmm. Did you win or lose? This is highly frustrating when the thumb takes it upon himself to engage the rest of the hand to help him do what he thinks is needed. You know what? You have power for this thumb, but you try to work the rest of this hand, it's not there. And the arm won't work. The shoulder is out. But the thumb's fine. All the time, the thumb is fine. Because I'm a thumb. Right? So what the children sing, right? God's not dumb. He gave me a thumb. I'm a thumb. But if I try to be a hand, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have power. I try, but no power. See? You know what? You know what this does? You say, oh, listen, if you try to exceed what you are in Christ... You don't have power for it. That's right. That's right. 
That's right. But number two, if you say, well, I don't have power for it, therefore drop it, then that's nothing happens. But if you say, I don't have power for it, but you know there's the hand, and they have power, and that finger has power, and that finger has power, and you say, I'm just a member of the body of Christ, and you work together in coordination as the members do, and all of us pool, coordinate our power together, this is what it means to be in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is like this. You know, some people are so good at leading people to Christ. But every time they try to help them to learn how to pray, they just don't do so well. Right. It's funny about that. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are so good. Uh, I, I never saw the likes of it. Every time they open the Bible, it seems like they get speaking from the Lord. Right. And other people, they open the Bible and they get some speaking, but they don't get that much. Right. And they wonder, what's wrong with me? I mean, you know, wow. If they would just go over to the one who gets a, more speaking and sit under the waterfall, they would be they get soaked. That's right. But you know, pride comes in, and we say, "Well, I, you know, it should have been from me." <laughs> when in fact, what's the difference? As long as you got the speaking and transformation resulted. That's right. That's right. That's free. Amen. Okay, member power. I think you get it. Then you have life power. Uh, I think in saying member power, you mostly covered life power. Uh, Let's just read this one scripture because here I want to show you the difference between uh, two types of power. Okay? Let's read 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. you see life power here versus uh, I would say what's really here is a struggle between two types of power Paul had a thorn in his flesh according to other statements in the Bible because of his eyesight that was horrendous uh, we would assume that there was some problem with his eyes he could not even write an epistle he could sign it in large letters but he could not write it and so probably he had some eyesight problem. Uh, if that wasn't the thorn, at least it was a thorn. Anyway, uh, he calls it a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Yeah. And it did buffet him. It uh, gave him a lot of problems, obviously. And so what happened were two things. Number one, prior to that, he had made a trip to the third heavens and he had seen revelations that is not given mortals to see. Something happened to Paul in a special way to the extent that he said in the same chapter, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I cannot tell you. 
he was taken away. It was a kind of a little uh, type of rapture where he went and saw the situation in the heavens. Yeah. Now, isn't that really miraculous? It, to me, that's the top miracle I can think of. Okay. But that would tend to make anybody lift it up, wouldn't it? Yep. So to balance that so that he could know God's economy and yet not be destroyed by Laodicea, which is pride and lifting up, uh, he was humbled by a thorn that stayed with him continuously. And that thorn humbled him at all times to the extent that it greatly, uh, it greatly hampered his work. Uh, we, we don't know to what extent. We just can piece it together because he was so desperate to get, a, get rid of it for the Lord's interest. He was desperate. But uh, in that desperation, he prayed to the Lord three times to remove it so he could go on with the Lord's work until the Lord spoke to him, what? My grace is sufficient for you. And, you know, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Right here, you see that for somebody that has any growth at all, they will recognize the real type of power that God prefers is not miraculous power, but life power. Power to express Him. You could have... <clears throat> let me use three words to describe the kind of power that people normally think of as power. Number one, it's big. Like going to the third heavens or being healed from some kind of major thorn. It's big. It's the kind of testimony you could give on TV and people would be impressed. It's miraculous, supernatural. It's not a result of your experience of Christ in seeking Him, it's a result of something coming upon you to deal with it from the outside. So it's big, it's miraculous. You know what the other characteristic is? It's infrequent. Very occasional. That's not the kind of power. Don't you think going to the third heavens was big? And it for sure was infrequent, right? If he would have gotten healed from this, you don't think you don't think this is a big thing. Paul was healed from other things. Don't you know a snake bit him on the uh, on the right. Isle yeah. of uh, Crete? Was it Crete or was it Melita? Melita. He was bitten at Melita, and he just flung the snake into the fire, poison snake, and uh, he he was fine. And that opened all the pagans up, and they got saved. You know, miracles are good in pagan places to open pagans up to show that God, their gods are dead and the real God is living, then they receive Christ. But if, but if they don't turn to get life soon after that, they'll just yearly go back and think of some big miracle and never have ex- the experience of Christ. Sorry to say this, but a lot of Christianity is like that too. The part that believes in the power of God, they mostly believe in it in a big, miraculous, and infrequent type of way. But look what the answer to the Lord was to somebody who was mature enough to take it. 
My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather boast in my weaknesses. Okay, if you boast in going to the third heavens, is that, an, is that, does that express Christ? Just a little bit. If you boast in being healed from a ghastly thorn, does that express Christ? Yes, but limitedly. If you can say, I boast in my weaknesses, which are going on all, 24 hours around the clock, can you think of a higher expression than the very opposite of what man's nature is? He's doing. He's boasting in his weaknesses, and the power of Christ is upon him. That's life power. That's not splashy power. It's not commercialized power. It's not. Uh, <clears throat> it's not power that exalts, but it's power that expresses Christ. That's the little power. It's member power and it's life power. You got it? Okay, I can cover one more point and then we'll eat. Y'all are doing good. You are. Good audience. It means you're, it means you're in inward contact with the Lord. Amen. If you can still co- concentrate and focus. It means your spirit is... Uh, is uh, <clears throat> strengthened to the extent that you can control your faculties. That's a good sign. Uh, you have kept my word. Uh, there's just some points here that are pretty simple. Second Timothy 3.15, Paul tells Timothy, and, and that from a babe... You have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Known the sacred writings. Think about it. To keep His Word, you've got to start with knowing His Word. You can't keep that which you don't know. Fortunately, here's one brother called Timothy who knew the sacred writings. Amen. Right? Right. You know, you know, a characteristic of Philadelphia is what? You have kept my word. They are people of the word. That's what made these people stand out last century in England. Is they knew the Bible. Regardless of what criticisms came, the last word was always, well... Regardless of what you say, these people know their Bible. And any of them, I mean any of them, I mean the gardeners. And all, you know, whatever economic level you were on at that time, you could go into any of the state churches, including the clergymen, and you had vastly more knowledge of the truth than they had. That was... Philadelphia just shamed the religious world at that time. (coughs) 
So they know they knew the word. See, everybody has some. We're people of the word, you know. Uh, it's okay to get criticism. You know, uh, we're very used to criticism. Very used to it. I, at least, uh, if not totally used to it, I'm somewhat used to criticism. Uh, I, Philadelphia is to be expected to be criticized. Okay? So if you're not criticized, there's a problem. Philadelphia must catch it from... <laughs> from the ones the enemy Satan stirs up. That's true. But if you're going to criticize me, if you're going to criticize us, if you're going to criticize Philadelphia, if you're going to criticize the church life, then at least criticize it according to the word. Right. If you can't criticize it according to the word, you don't have a basis to criticize it. You know, every criticism that's come, uh, all you have to do is keep your heart calm, take a few minutes and think about it, and check it with the Word, exactly. and you'll, you'll get your peace back immediately. Right, that's all right. Check it, check it Just check it with the Word. Does that criticism, is the source of that the Word of God? Or is it got a motive behind it that's something else? Check it out. Right. <laughs> you know, I've had a lot of confrontations over the years. Uh, now, a lot of brothers and sisters can deal with all these confrontations. I don't have to work so hard with all these confrontations. But <clears throat> ages ago, I, was, I had to work harder. Okay, I was kind of the, the point man on criticism. Okay, so I got a lot of uh, early on experience with uh, people who were enraged religionists, and I understand them because I was in that. I know I, I was not saved in the local church. I know, and so I know the realm a little bit and got to know it better, and so forth through. Uh, various experiences. Uh, at first, I remember these criticisms would, uh, they would, uh, I don't know, would be best to say, they would kind of unsettle me a little bit. Like, if, if this is so wonderful, why, how can you criticize it? It's so wonderful. Then I got the help to realize, wait a minute, when, you, when we're talking about the things of God, uh, you have to really say the church needs to walk in the footsteps of Christ, right. who always was under the critics. Right. Not the worldly people, but the religious people. Right. It's okay. Then it, then it used to make me mad. <laughs> Indignant. Right. What? what? How dare you? You know, uh, not totally, but to some extent. Now it's it's a little bit of a ho-hum. Oh, really? Another critic. Here we go again. Well, what's your line? <laughs> what? I know the categories. Are you no, are you going to fit into number three, number sixteen, number twenty-one? Are you number four? Oh, number four. Okay, let's. 
Let's hear what you have to say. You're, you're category four. See, they don't know. They don't know. It's all, it's all been said before. Every bit of it. And we took it to the Supreme Court. What's that? The Bible. Right. We took it all through the Supreme Court and we wore it out every verse on the topic until we exhausted it. Right. And we know what the Bible says about it. And some of them, some of them, thank the Lord, were uh, saved by that. They were, they were snatched out of their, their error. And some of them just got more infuriated. Just like the Lord infuriated. You know, did you ever notice how infuriated the scribes and Pharisees got? Did you see in the Sanhedrin what they did to, to uh, Stephen? They didn't say, they didn't say, this young man is a heretic. March him out to the stoning pit and the uh, designated stoners will be along promptly and we will cast the stones. We will do it in the prescribed order. No, the Sanhedrin. They heard him testifying. They saw his face shining. And they just descended upon him like, like animals. They went crazy. These were the top religious PhDs in the nation of Israel. And they descended upon him like vultures on something dead in the road. Yeah. It says they gnashed at him with their teeth. That's right. What is that? A dignified, theologically, a ruler of the people elected to the Sanhedrin. And they said they gnashed, they fell upon him and gnashed at him with their teeth. What? Animals! That's, that's how incensed they were. And drug him off and stoned him. And you can believe me, it wasn't... It wasn't uh, some kind of organized stoning. It was chaos reigning. You don't think the devil wasn't there? The spirit in the air wasn't just flooding these puppets? <laughs> he was part of Philadelphia. You know, Stephen was, never did anything great. He was a deacon in chapter 6. And he... Yeah, and he preached the gospel. He did those two things. Waited on tables and preached the gospel. And the Sanhedrin was absolutely in wild. They, they really got possessed. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, you have to know the word. Uh, the next two verses are simple. The Lord says, And in vain they, they are worshiping me, teaching as teachings the commandments of men. This is what I've been trying to say. Leaving the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The next verse, Invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have delivered, and many such similar things you do. That is not keeping the word. That's keeping the tradition. That's keeping the set pattern. That's keeping the way your father, your father's father, your father. That's the way of your fathers. Okay? That's what the Lord Jesus had to buck. So you can say Philadelphia keeps the word by returning to it as the supreme court of authority. I hope we would develop a reputation like this. In fact, you know what some of the people who would get incensed at us, they would say, whatever you do, if you meet somebody that meets with this group, 
don't talk to them about the Bible. They will crucify you with the Bible. They, they would, no, this is true. They would, they would say words like this. Whatever you do, stay away from the Bible. Like, that's their, that's their thing. If that's our thing, then what is their thing? If we're, if we're for the Bible, then what else can you be for? You invalidate the Word of God by your tradition. Philadelphia has thrown tradition overboard. Jettison your tradition and walk into the land of the all-inclusive Christ as the life-giving Spirit. And you'll be so released and free from what? Binding, stifling tradition. That's a strong word, but it's the Lord who said, you have kept my word. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 and John, Job 23.12 is merely a point showing you how to keep it. Because to keep the word is not just to read it and say, I'm going to keep it. No. No. Uh, to keep the word, you have to keep it in two ways. One, you have to keep it by knowing and realizing and feeling and having the experience that the word of God is living. If you, if you don't have that, you can't keep it. I don't care if you learn it. Go to seminary and you learn it. I, I know a, a lot of people have done that. A lot of my former friends went to seminary. My best friend in high school is a Ph.D., Okay, one of my very good friends is the president of the General Baptist Convention. Uh, they all, they PhDs and good men. And uh, in my book, uh, Love the Lord Very Much. Uh, <clears throat> why I'm in the church, I don't know. I just accept it. <laughs> don't question it. But one thing I noticed about these people who went, uh, it was all my close friends, they, they uh, went to seminary. And I never, I never forgot uh, when one of these guys came back from his first semester at seminary and he showed another brother and I, two of us were in the church life, what he was enrolled in. He had the whole string of courses. There was not one Bible course there. Not one. Isn't that amazing? Psychology, sociology, on and on and on and on. You have to know the Word of God is living. Not knowledge. Not just knowledge. You can't just read the Bible and store knowledge. You have to know good God is speaking. He's alive. This is his embodiment to come to you to uh, speak to you and enliven you as the spirit. You see the the word is living. That's why in Job here at the second part it said he said Job said I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The concept that the Word is for our spiritual food is replete in the whole Bible, Old and New Testament.
It is for food. We have to be those who keep the word by taking it in, being constituted with it till it's the fiber of our being. Then it's not something you have to remember. It's something that is you. Then the traditions of men cannot penetrate. If it's in your head, you can have knowledge in your head and in your heart, you're still in tradition. See, But if the Word of God is living and is taken in by you to be your new spiritual constitution, then you, you be sure. Tradition will come and your spiritual radar will just go crazy. Something alien is flying into me, getting close to me. What am I going to do? And you turn to the Lord and duck and hide and stay away from what? The tradition of men. Then you would keep his word. You would be in the real reaction, which is Philadelphia. I had planned to make it this far before lunch, and I did it. With five minutes to spare. So that's just enough time to coordinate lunch. You see, we'll pick up right here, and uh, we'll have a. It, it gets better. I like this last part best myself. 